0: okay it's the naked security podcast kim is afk i'm doug ameth i am in front of my k and with me as always is the great paul ducklin without whom this podcast would be two minutes long so thank you for joining me paul
1: i am what do you call it Indispensable. Um, I'm Beckack.
0: Yes. Like
1: I No, Beckack.
0: Great. N- I won't you have don't want to be the Pepcack. No. Great idea. Great place to be.
1: Which is ironic because don't actually need a keyboard for a podcast, but, you know, just in case. And if uh, a little peek behind the curtain for everyone, we, we
0: generally talk, we have like a production meeting about an hour before, we talk for about an hour before we start recording the podcast. And we spent a good amount of time on drag racing, which then evolved into
1: supersonic flight. And the reason that we got sidetracked in that way will become obvious about halfway through. Yes, sir. We got distracted by the name of a software product. Exactly. That has to do with extreme performance.
0: We will talk about that. Uh, but first, we always start our show with some recommendations. I have a recommendation. This is actually a, uh, a life hack, as it were. So I have an outdoor uh, deck. I like to sit out there in the summertime. and I have this light that has, uh, it's covered and enclosed. And this is how to build your own cheap outdoor smart speaker. So I've got this light. It's covered and closed. So what I did was I bought a $4 adapter that screws into the light bulb socket and converts it to a two-prong electrical outlet. And then from there, I used an old, tiny iPhone plug, a six-inch micro USB cable, and I plugged it into an Amazon Echo Dot, which is about the size of a hockey puck, and it fits snugly inside the covered enclosed housing protected from the elements. So now when I want music, I simply ask Alexa to play something, and I'm free to wander away with my phone. So it's how to convert... an outdoor enclosed light into a smart speaker, and I highly recommend it. I
1: think we, in the UK, illegalized the use of light socket power adapters sometime in about 1952, Doug, on the grounds that they aren't quite as safe as you might like.
0: (laughs) I'll have to check our household wiring works. I may have... uh violated several building codes so i'll have to check it's it's still kind of wild Light circuits
1: are designed for switching lights not it's true arbitrary electrical items
0: halfway through that too i was thinking to myself are you are your would your plugs be too large to do that because we have very small diminutive plugs over here so
1: i don't know yes our plugs are big because they actually contain doug a safety fuse Mm -hmm. mm-hmm So that each plug individually protects the thing that's plugged in, as well as having what is it, earth leakage or residual current or whatever it is back at the switchboard.
0: Just surrounded by code violations, I guess. But do you have a recommendation for us? Speaking of code violations, programming
1: music. Yes, actually that was code violation. I wonder if there's such a band. Maybe I'll get. That's a great name. Yeah, Uh, it's called Cryptograph. Ah, they're from Bergen which is on the Norwegian coast. Quite wild and foggy and rainy and windy weather there. Anyway, uh, you have to know to look for Norwegian spelling, so it's cryptograph, K-R-Y-P-T-O-G-R-A-F. And they describe themselves as inspired by the heavy sound of the late 60s. There's a review there that says Bill, Geezer, Ozzy and Tony are here. Ah. Eric's here. Jimmy and John Paul are here. (laughs) It isn't like listening to Led Zeppelin. It is like listening to modern indie music. I think you'll like it. Quite fun.
0: Cryptograph with a K. Crypto with a K,
1: graph with
0: an F. Love it. Okay, let's get into the headlines. But before we do, let's tease the oh no, which happens at the end of the show. All I'm going to say is, if you can't
1: make it, shake it. (laughs) You got me mystified. I can't wait. All right. But I suppose Uh, I better had.
0: (laughs) <laughs> exactly. So uh, we're going to talk about today, uh, UFI camera owners reporting video mix-ups. We're going to talk about crooks taking advantage of an MSI download outage. And this is actually a little embarrassing, Paul. I don't want to do this on the air. But um, we talked about the Apple AirTag hack last show. This is the same
1: thing. It Another involves AirTags. One? Well, this is kind of cooler in that it's not somebody trying to use your AirTag against you. It's just a method by which Apple could end up providing free, low bandwidth data for almost anybody who wants to build a kind of IoT network of their own. Okay. It's kind of not so much a bug as a feature. Love it. And it's interesting to know what Apple might wish to do about this, if indeed anything, because doing nothing is still a safe and secure option, even though it might cost Apple a little bit of money that they didn't expect well
0: we will talk about that last but first fun fact according to clickbait humans and bananas share between 44 and 60 percent of dna according to
1: which doug just to clarify before we continue when you say banana mm-hmm. you mean the curved yellow fruit known as a banana banana so that's the same thing right banana yeah
0: in the u.s it's called a banana Bananas, humans and bananas, share between 44 and 60% of DNA. However, genetic researcher Natasha Glover of the Decima's Lab at the University of Lausanne set out to find the truth and found it to be closer to 20%. So on behalf of Paul, I say welcome to our genetically similar and undeniably delicious cousins.
1: Here's a life hack. I mean, every, maybe everyone in America already knows this, but I've only just found out. I always as a kid I was taught to eat a banana you hold it and then where the stalk snapped off at the top you use that as a handle to open it Mm -hmm. so of course half the time when you open it to eat it straight out of the skin when you're breaking that bit off you crush the top of the banana and it's You just turn it the other way around and use the stalk as a handle and you peel it from the other end. Yes, I've seen gorillas doing that. Why did I never think of that? It doesn't damage the end of the banana you're peeling from and it gives you a nice little handle to hold it by so when you eat the last bit, you don't get it smudged all over your hands. Okay,
0: double life hack this episode.
1: Great. Yeah.
0: My kids love bananas. And speaking of kids, we have a headline here that says, Those aren't my kids. Eufy camera owners report video mix-ups. And Paul, this is not the first time this has happened. But what happened this time?
1: UV is a company that sells a whole load of budget home automation, smart home stuff. So they've got, I think, baby monitors and webcams and robot vacuum cleaners and smart speakers and all that kind of stuff. Guess what? There's an app for that and you run the app on your phone and then you can... Dial in from wherever you are and check what's going on in your own webcam while you're away. That sounds like a fantastic feature, except that it seems at the start of this week, people were logging in and noticing that the household they were looking at had unusual curtains strange wallpaper different furniture other people's kids running around in the background i'm exaggerating for effect but basically apps were connecting people to other people's video feeds and other people's accounts so they could go in and see their profile look at their stored videos and apparently from what i've read uh in some cases they could look at live video feeds as well if they were enabled figuratively obviously not literally, the wires got crossed somewhere in the telephone exchange. One chap actually reported, he said, you know, I, it happened to me, I logged in and suddenly I'm looking at somebody else's house. What's going on? My wife did exactly the same and she got yet another person's feed. So there wasn't even any logic to it. Oh my god! It was obviously just a snafu on the server side. But
0: with proper cryptography, this, this is impossible.
1: Well, you'd like to think so, wouldn't you? There are two ways to do cryptography for or security for videos in transit if you like one is that it's encrypted at the moment it leaves the camera and it's encrypted across the internet so using TLS and at the other end the the server the cloud service strips off the encryption processes the video and saves it where you can access it now that means that the cloud service is where the encryption terminates The other way to do it is that the camera uses an encryption key that was generated say by the app on your phone that was shared with the camera but not with the cloud provider and in that case the cloud provider is just simply a network broker who is storing the images temporarily until you retrieve them but they can't be decrypted anywhere on the cloud server. If you do that then clearly somebody could get connected to the wrong account. Maybe they could go in and look at that person's profile. They could find out where they live. But if they started trying to stream their videos, they wouldn't have the decryption key. They'd just see garbage. And I guess the reason that a lot of feeds do work with end-to-server rather than end-to-end encryption is it means the server can do all kinds of clever added features. right? For example, they can actually get a computer to look at your video and detect movement and then send you an alarm. Or they may want to get the feed off the camera and then they might want to compress it. So when you view it it on your phone, they've got a compressed version which comes down more quickly and they can't do that if all they have is encrypted data. And it looks as though Eufy, let's assume they were using encryption between the camera and the server, although you never know these days with the, the state of security in some IoT devices, but they they certainly weren't, it seems, using true end-to-end encryption.
0: And so we've had a couple other, we we talked about one a few episodes back that was uh, like an industrial camera system that had a similar glitch, and then there was a high-profile SWAN incident, SWA double N. So this is not not uncommon, but it shouldn't be common.
1: No, it shouldn't. The, The surveillance system you're talking about was a company called Vercada. We spoke about that this year they were not doing end-to-end encryption because they wanted to provide a service where their servers would analyze your video because you know it was for things like warehouse security. They were supposed to be able to look at your feed, detect that something anomalous was happening. Like maybe they, they have software that can say the color's all wrong there, it looks like there's a fire or there are people stealing stuff or someone's left the door open or whatever. So they had this admittedly useful service where they needed to see your video. Unfortunately, they also had a very useful service for their admins, which was some kind of super admin account. And, oh dear, a super admin password leaked out onto the underweb where a security researcher found it and figured out, hey, I wonder what happens if I try using that account? (laughs) And lo and behold, he was then able to get in not just to somebody else's account, but to everybody else's account. So in theory, he could have spied on 150,000 different businesses. So that got sorted out. Uh, and the Swan case was a similar case, but a different cause. It seems that they would ship security cameras, and part of the workflow of building up these cameras to put them in the box to send to the customer was to initialize the device with firmware and with what's known as a UUID or a GUID, a globally unique identifier that was made sure that your camera had this long random string in it that nobody else's did. And due to a mistake, occasionally it could happen that two cameras would get the same not unique at all identifier, which is a very hard problem to troubleshoot. But eventually they did. (laughs) That was an amusing story because they had this chap who logged into his feed and realised not only does it not look like my house, it actually looks (laughs) like the outside of a pub. (laughs) And he found out where the pub was. And to his amazement, it was five miles down the road from his own house, completely by fluke. So he went there and he took a picture of himself with a landlord's pub camera on his phone and then went to the landlord and said, what do you think of that? And they both had a laugh and probably a couple of pints about it and they reported and it got fixed. So you're right, this is the kind of thing, it can happen in many different ways. Swan's case, it was the provisioning of the camera. For Carter's case, it was how they managed the administration of the network. The bad news is, in Yuffie's case, we have no idea what happened.
0: Well, they've. Kind of responded a little bit, sort of, I guess.
1: A kind of is, I think is a kind of way to put it. <laughs> Literally, they, they recommend that you unplug and reconnect the device, log out and log back in again. As far as security responses for an of this of this nature, that's just not the way to do it, folks. You need to be brief, but clear. And importantly, you need to be able to inform your users what happened and what you did about it to the point that they are inclined to accept that you understood and genuinely fixed the problem. So the chance that it will ever happen again is very, very small.
0: Okay, that counts as advice for you, Fee. Do we have advice for people like you and me?
1: <sighs> yes, that's a, always a difficult question and one that we've covered on Naked Security Live videos a couple of years ago when there was a leaky kid's smartwatch that actually managed to tell anybody who had an account on the system where your kids were, not just where their kids were. Very worrying. And, you know, the obvious question is, well, IoT security seems to be really bad because everything's built down to a price. What if you just spend more? Does that guarantee your security? And the problem is it doesn't. And the real problem is that you actually don't know necessarily which device you've got. Because the same device may appear with 10, 20, 30 different brands. A manufacturer will create a webcam and then they will offer it for sale in what it's called white boxing. You just get it in generic packaging if you buy it by default. Or you can go, yeah, I'll have a million of those, but I want them with slightly different looking plastic around them. I want this printed on the box and I want my logo screen printed onto the device. So, you know, when you see two devices hanging next to each other in the budget section of a shop, you don't actually know whether the internals and the software it's going to be running the firmware on the device and the server it's connecting to, you have no idea whether they're different or the same. So, the sad news is there isn't a good answer to your question, how do you tell? And I guess the only thing you can do is recommendation that you've given before Doug is don't read the reviews, go to unaffiliated support forums where people are talking about them honestly in their own voice.
0: Always if I if I think something like the setup's going to be a little complicated, I'll go to check out that. But then you you will very quickly see if there are bigger problems than than those if they're if they're not censoring the forums and stuff like that. If you're not sure about a device and if it's a, you know, an IoT or a cheap kind of white labeled device, you're not quite a, really sure where it's coming from, you can always try to find the forums and see what people are talking about. Reddit's a good Stop too, and let me tell you, nobody on the forums is glowing about anything. They're they're looking for help. <laughs> yeah, they're either they're upset about something, or they're looking to find out how to do something. So that's your you. other
1: advice, if I recall, was if you are stuck on the vendor's site or on the you know the the app store or the play store, look at the two and three star reviews. Yep, because the people in the middle are probably the people who've they've got it to work, but they had some trouble or they found it okay but they wish it had a few more features and they're trying to be dutifully honest and not picking one extreme or the other exactly but sadly that for iot devices there is at the moment no real way because there are no reliable global standards that give you any idea of how good the device is
0: okay so that's those aren't my kids Eufy camera owners report video mix-ups on nakedsecurity.sophos.com. Now we're going to switch gears and move on to MSI. This article is called Gamers Beware, Crooks Take Advantage of MSI Download Outage. And I, like Paul, just to show my age, you start this article. Well-known computer gaming hardware vendor MSI is warning of fake download sites ripping off its brand. To show my age... When I was in uh, college and you would, we would build our own computers, MSI was the go-to for good, cheap motherboards. They are always about 45 bucks, and they always had maybe an extra expansion port or two. So when you said, I'm writing about MSI, I immediately thought, oh, motherboards. But they are not known for their motherboards anymore. They're known for for gaming primarily right now.
1: Well, I guess that's more like complete, still motherboards, but it's all about that mix of components, isn't it? Yeah. Anyway, apparently MSI have software, you can imagine what it does, it's called Afterburner, which if you're a British English speaker, Afterburner is the same as Reheat. So Afterburner is software that MSI, the vendor themselves, provides to let you tweak their hardware. Now. Having After writing the article, I, I bumped in online into a couple of people who said, oh, that's such great software. It's so useful. And you can even use it apparently with non-MSI cards. And it's basically a overclocking and performance tuning for people who wouldn't otherwise know how to do it using all the sort of low-level tricks. So it's a popular app. And for some reason, MSI decided that, oh, well, we're going to revamp the website and all the app. And so They had a download page with a download button, but instead of saying this download is temporarily unavailable, they just took the, unfortunately, easy approach. They just removed the download link from the download button. So when you clicked it, nothing happened. Quite a number of people did what you probably expect. They go, oh, darn, MSI site must be down. I'll go and find an alternative source. And it turns out that there was one that was really going after misled MSI fans, they'd copied the brand, they'd copied the branding, they'd copied the site, and of course what you were getting was some kind of malware, not MSI's program at all. So it's a simple reminder that, as the Rolling Stones said, you can't always get what you want, but if you try sometimes, you just might find that you get malware instead. And that's what happened here. And so MSI, <laughs> MSI had to put out a warning. Now, to be honest, if I were MSI, I would have put the warning on the download page saying, bear with us, folks. We've, we've gone away for a little while. We haven't got the software available for download at the moment. We'll be back. Be careful. There are people out there who have your worst interests at heart. And sadly, not just for MSI, but for any brand, it's very hard to defend against that because they can just make a clone of your site. As we know from the phishing guys, creating facsimile websites is pretty easy. If in doubt, don't download it.
0: Back in my day, we didn't have these download sites with this fancy software. We had to boot into the BIOS and adjust the clock speed and multiplier by hand. And then you, when you would reboot, you would hope you didn't sm- smell spoke. And, th- and that's, how you, that's how you overclock stuff.
1: Although back in the day, of course, remember, there were all those places where you could go and you could order floppy disks or CDs jam-packed with free software uh. doing some air quotes. And, uh, and indeed, even before antivirus software came out, there used to be a list that circulated called The Dirty Dozen. It very quickly had hundreds and hundreds of programs on it. And either they'd make disks and deliberately sell them to catch you out, or the bad software would just get picked up by other people who didn't bother to test it, and they'd just stick it on their CD or on their floppy. And these things got a life of their own, even in the days before the Internet. So that side of it, getting what are known as Trojan horses, uh, it's only got worse.
0: Oh, remember back in the day, the computer magazines would come with CDs in them, software stuff on them, little utilities and Commander Keen and demos. Those were the days.
1: I don't know whether you got this in U.S. computer magazines, but... UK computer magazines realised that it was really expensive and really hard to ship magazines with free cassette tapes on the front with games on because it made the packaging really bulky and it was Mm -hmm. really expensive. And so what some of them would do is they actually came with basically flimsy plastic gramophone records that were stapled to the front of the magazine and you basically cut it out and yes. put it on your turntable, <laughs> yes. and played it. And yep. it, it, and then you connected instead of connecting your tape recorder up to your computer, you connected your gramophone up to your computer. <laughs> and it was, it was just good enough quality to be able to, you know, record games. You know, they were just a throwaway item. There are probably people who collect those now.
0: Oh, simpler times that were not actually so simple. Well.
1: No, they were not simple at all. <laughs> <They were> much, <laughs> much simple more nice. complicated.
0: <laughs> but that's how people like us got to, into computers, because you got to mess around with stuff like that. Anywho, gamers beware. Crooks take advantage of MSI download outage. That's on nakedsecurity.sophos.com. And we will deftly slide into technology etymology, take a little break from our regularly scheduled stories. This is uh, before the iPad, before the iPhone, before the Newton, there was the pen light. Apple's early 90s tablet computing prototype was based on the PowerBook Duo, featured a stylus, was designed to be compatible with PowerBook Duo docks and accessories, and ran Mac OS. It was scrapped in favor of the Newton. And if I urge you to head to the internet and type in penlight p e n l i t e to see pictures of this thing, it it looks like a chunky clunky tablet that somehow copulated with a powerbook duo it's it's exactly like it sounds
1: i all i can think is if the newton ended up going to market because it was better then the pen light must have been tricky to use indeed because i tried a newton back in the day mm-hmm. and i my abiding memory of it is that i considered it what you might call beyond value <laughs> <laughs> like I, it just you couldn't get it to do anything
0: it is this, the the sizes of the two things are interesting because the Newton is more the size of the iPhone but this penlight thing was the size of an iPad but much thicker so it was a full, it was like a full tablet computer so the fact that they scrapped it for the Newton instead is kind of interesting.
1: The problem with the Newton was 97% correct handwriting recognition it was actually an astonishing result for the CPU power of the day but it kind of averaged out at approximately one mistake per word, <laughs> which pretty much meant that everything you wrote was wrong. Yep. Uh, that was my experience too, yes. You'd think 97%, that sounds amazing. But in the end, oh golly. Also the Like days. you just said, <laughs> everything was so much more simple slash complicated.
0: Exactly. Well, speaking of Apple, uh, Apple's AirTags have been hacked again. This time, providing free internet with no mobile data plan. There's something of a catch here, but uh, it's it's yes. uh, this, this is an interesting uh, turn of events here.
1: Yes, I guess it's a sign of Apple's success, if you like, that within a very short time of this new product being released, we've had two big stories that have attracted loads of publicity, if nothing else, for Apple. One, somebody jailbroke it by replacing the firmware, which is probably of concern for Apple, like how are they going to stop that? Because presumably they don't want people messing with the firmware, A, because they're Apple, and B, because as we'll see, they have done some cryptographically pretty cool stuff in their code. This is not a hack against the AirTag. So if you've got an AirTag, there's no reason to stop using them. Your security is not in danger here. It's a fascinating story by a, a researcher by the name of Fabian Brownline. Basically, he wondered if this, what you might call, crowdsourced Bluetooth to internet connectivity provided by what Apple calls the Find My network, where the AirTag sends out its broadcasts, which are cryptographically secure, and says, here I am, if anyone's listening, he's got an iPhone or a Mac, then just tell Apple where I am so that the user can pick up the data later. So they're relying on somebody nearby doing the favor of transmitting this cryptographic token with encrypted location inside so the person who does the relaying has no idea whose iTag it is and Apple has no idea whose iTag it is or what the location was so it's a fantastic idea but because it's also opaque because Apple have done the cryptography really well this researcher figured I wonder if by using cryptographic keys that I've carefully chosen myself that are actually data that I chose rather than actual decryption keys. I wonder if I could turn the find my network into a kind of very low bandwidth send my network. That was the cute name he came up with for his hack. And he found out that he could. He could build essentially a fake air tag that pretends to call home with an encryption key that says to any phone nearby, Here I am. Here's my encryption key. Take your location, encrypt it with my encryption key, and upload it to Apple. So all the privacy is still maintained, but actually what he's relying on is then, at the other end, the recipient, then by predicting what these pseudo-cryptographic keys are going to be, can ask Apple, have you seen this particular tag today? So it might be this particular key means, hello, hello. I'm home, and this other particular cryptographic key means I've gone fishing, or whatever it is. He figured there is indeed a way, because these cryptographic keys are essentially just random numbers, that by transmitting a cryptographic key where the key just happens to have some meaning to someone at the other end, you can use the find my network as a kind of signalling mechanism. Then he figured, well, what if I put some structure to this And he ended up with a system where for every fake AirTag message that he sends out into the ether, he's able to transmit one bit, one single bit of a message of his choice. And he found out that with this fake AirTag he built using a $5 chip called the ESP32, he was able to get a a sending rate was about 20 bits per second. That's all. And the message is obviously Apple's not making any promise that they'll arrive at all. They had a latency of up to one hour, (laughs) but he could nevertheless use it as a network where a Bluetooth device that when you examined it clearly had no connectivity to the Internet could nevertheless sneak out at least some data. So there are a few things that can go wrong there. One is that somebody could just flood the network with data that's important to them but not important to anyone else and everyone has to carry the cost and the other problem that brown lines sort of realized is that this could be quite a sneaky way of building a device that somebody looks at and thinks you know what this isn't a major security risk i can allow it into a secure area because it doesn't have gps it doesn't have a, a mobile phone sim it can't call home it doesn't have wi-fi all it can do is bluetooth broadcasts so it can tell other devices nearby that it's here, but it can't do any kind of structured data exfiltration. And unfortunately, Brownline found that it could. Very low bandwidth, very high latency, but nevertheless possible. And that is the, the fascinating story of how to misuse the Find My network and raises some inter- interesting questions about what might Apple do next?
0: There's a comment on the article. Someone's asking if they could use AirTags to like, put it on a buoy to measure water temperature or whatever. And then another commenter says yeah. the AirTag has a speaker that starts beeping after three days away from the phone. But you, you could see these being used without hacking. Like, what if I want to f- know where someone is going? Like, they're going to some secret hideout and I slip an AirTag into their pocket. I have basically three days before they discover it if they don't discover that it's in there. The, so as long as they have an iPhone or s- someone else has an iPhone nearby, I can kind of figure out where they're, where they're going or where, where they are. That's
1: true. But to be fair, that's true of I guess I could tag. slip
0: a phone in their pocket. Yeah, I could slip anything in. there.
1: And in fact, you could argue that in that case, the AirTag is somewhat more secure because Apple has gone out of the way that only you can decrypt it, the, the yeah. data And it does have this beeper. Apparently, if if you crack it open, you can pull the magnet out of the speaker and put it back together and the AirTag won't detect. It knows the speaker's there, but it doesn't know that the speaker doesn't work anymore. So I don't think that's a problem unique to Apple. So it's not that, oh, I could use an AirTag for tracking someone. And in fact, somebody said, hey, I might put one on this classic car I've got, so that in case it gets stolen, mm-hmm. um, rather than paying all the money for the dedicated tracking unit. That yeah, has for
0: LoJack, yeah,
1: totally. But my, my point to him was, you know, the problem is that if the crook who steals your car, if, if he decides to drive off in it and he's got an iPhone, then the AirTag system, the Find My Network, It can tell whether the air tags in your vicinity are yours or not. And if it seems the same air tag that you can't make sense of over and over again, then it'll give you a warning because it actually means that you're not just near somebody else's air tag, somebody else's air tag is near you. So ironically, if you use it for tracking your own car and the crook's got an iPhone and has registered (laughs) an air tag of his own, he'll get a warning that he's being tracked while he's stealing your car and then you'll know to go... (laughs) digging around and smashing and breaking things and trying to get it off. (laughs) And we had other people saying, well, this seems unfair. I've got an iPhone. Why should I have to carry traffic on behalf of other people so they can find their stuff if they lose it? Amazon's, they had
0: a similar, the the sidewalk network that emanated out of the, the smart home devices and people kind of collectively lost their minds and there's an option to turn it off. So, and it was very small. It's, you can adjust the bandwidth down to like kilobits. and just, But yeah, people don't like to share their
1: bandwidth. I can see the reason why you might be, you might be skeptical about, you know, those plans where you turn on a special feature on your wireless router at home mm-hmm. that lets you share a fraction of your bandwidth with passers-by. And in return, you can make use of their routers when you're out and about. And you're kind of thinking, well, whoever latches onto my network, it's going to be coming from my IP number and I have absolutely no idea what they're using it for. And they could be doing amount of dodgy stuff that I don't yeah. want associated with at all. I think with the AirTag, the risk is much lower. But as we said, there's the problem that it does mean that thanks to networks like this, a Bluetooth device with no internet connectivity of its own, that's only sending out routine broadcasts that look perfectly innocent, that apparently contain just a cryptographic key. Those keys themselves could be messages and innocent third parties could pass them on. So it could be used for exfiltrating from a secure area. So basically, if you're going to have a secure area where you're worried about wireless emanations, don't let people take in their phones at all. That would be the safest thing or insist that they are in airplane mode first. Brownline did say in his report that one possible issue could be that somebody could use it as a kind of bandwidth sapping attack against you by slipping in an AirTag that you keep relaying messages for. But of course, A, you should get that warning that says, hey, there's this AirTag following you around. B, the amount of bandwidth probably isn't that much. And C, I kind of expect that Apple will respond. They might just put some sort of rate limiting in that will bring this under control without spoiling uh, the use and fun of the find my network
0: okay apple airtag hacked again free internet with no mobile data plan that's on naked security.sophos.com it's that time once again for the oh no of the week this is from user Donis on reddit who says a lot of the stories on here remind me of the story my professor told us when i was in school for i.t he was old school i.t been in the business for over 20 years at that point in 2010 So he was there from the beginning, still teaching too. He told us a story when he was in college, and four master's degree computer science techs were surrounding a unit trying to figure out why it wouldn't boot. When he offered to help, they scoffed at him, as if an undergraduate student would know what to do when they didn't. Well, when they went to go boot it again, there was still no response to the brand new motherboard. He knew exactly what it was. He picked up the PC, shook it a bit, and a screw fell out from behind the motherboard. He put it down, hit the power button, and turned it on. He said he loved the look on the four shocked faces as he turned around, shrugged, and left the area. Those of you that don't know, the screw was touching the motherboard, which was then touching the case, grounding out the electrical source to the motherboard, preventing it from booting. Again, simpler times that were much more complicated, Paul.
1: Well... Assumes that he didn't secretly put the screw there himself, in order to ah. uh... <laughs> no. But it would be I. A... No, I wouldn't risk that because, of course, the screw <laughs> yeah. that's fallen inside it might not fall quite so gracefully as to make the system fail safe. It might be that you turn the computer on and you hear a sound that is approximately like this: bang. Yeah, <laughs> and then the magic smoke escapes, mm. and as we all know. Once the magic smoke escapes from an electronic component, it cannot
0: be. It's over. Back. Yep, cannot rebottle that magic smoke. I just remember those days—not not this particular incident, but being like, "Why? Why is this not booting? Like, what could it be?" And it's just some cables twisted, or something's just not quite connected right, and you just gotta. Yeah, find do
1: you it remember 100%. those floppy drive cables? Where there there were two connectors on it for drive A and drive B. Mm -hmm. And between A and B, there was a twist. Yep. There was a particular pin that told the drive whether it was drive A or B. And boy, if you connected them up wrong or used the wrong sort of cable that didn't have a twist. There were so many things that were not quite as foolproof as they are now. Plugs that should go in several ways round. (laughs) Jumper
0: settings. Did you put your john COM one or COM three? And of course
1: the 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 the, the CMOS battery. Yep. When it went flat, if you hadn't written down what your settings were supposed to be. Oh god. Good luck remembering all the little tweaks you'd made. What they was sixty four bytes of memory, I think. But boy, they were important.
0: A lot of nostalgia in this episode. I like it. But complicated nostalgia
1: records and jumper settings and pins and bits sadly now when it doesn't work the the sort of implication is that you should go and buy a new one yep as you say we live in different times eh?
0: we do simpler times
1: but yet more complicated yeah exactly
0: (laughs) well if you like that oh no you can send in your own and we would appreciate if you would because we're always looking for good oh no's of the week uh you can send us an email tips at sophos.com you can leave an anonymous comment on any Naked Security story. You can hit us up on any of our social networks at Naked Security. You can find Kim on Reddit. Oh, no, it's Kim. That's oh, no, it's Kim on Reddit. We've had a great show. I want to thank you for joining us on behalf of Paul Ducklin, and we will remind you to, until next time, stay stay secure. secure.
1: if you try sometimes you just might find that you get malware instead